I want you to join me tonight in the book of Ruth. Can you find, can you find the book of Ruth? Book of Ruth. And uh, once you find it, <clears throat> once you find it, um, go ahead and just put a marker there because for uh, several weeks, uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to take me to get through this. We're not going to hurry it. We're not in any hurry. But for several weeks, we're going to study out the book of Ruth. And uh, just a small, right, just a small book, just four chapters, um, 85 verses. Think about that. Just 85 verses make up the book of Ruth. Uh, some would say it's a small book with just large truth, just big, big truth. And uh, just, some, just, some, some great, just some great, uh, just some great teaching uh, lessons here in this, in this book. The account... Uh, the book of Ruth, uh, when you look at it, it's position, positioned, if you haven't found it yet, let me, let me just tell you, it's positioned between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel, right? And so now, uh, that's, not just, <clears throat> that's not just to describe where you would find that in your Bible, but it also, it also kind of hints to, talks to us about the culture uh, during that period of time, the culture that Ruth lived in. And that, that really makes a difference. You know, when you're studying the Bible, when you're studying characters of the Bible, um, what really helps is to try to figure out a little bit of the background. You know, the, we, we, when I was in Bible college, we had a class. I, lo I loved it. A lot of people hated it. I absolutely adored it. It was called Manners and Customs of the Bible. And uh, it, was, it was boring. It was like a history class, Kevin. You know, but I love history. And um, Manners and Customs of the Bible. And man, they got into all these kinds of things. And that's where I learned uh, back then. I remember getting all deep into, you know, the Old Testament um, uh, marriage format, you know, where there was a betrothal stage and then a presentation stage and, and a celebration stage. And, you know, there wasn't a preacher and a ceremony, you know, like we have today. That's not the way they did it back then. You know, and so when you look at the manners and customs of the Bible, you begin to understand uh, some of the culture that these Bible characters lived in, and it makes a difference. And I said that to say this, when you look at the book of Ruth, it's positioned between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And so we would say it this way, she lived during the time when the judges ruled and right before the time when the kings began to rule. Because when you look in 1 Kings, you begin to see the nation of Israel comes to the you know, prophet Samuel, and they request of him what? A king. They said, we want a king, <clears throat> just like the other nations. You know? So Ruth lives uh, between the two. In fact, if you were to like little notes, the title of this message is Between Two Worlds. She, she was living between two worlds. She's living during the period of time listed as when the judges ruled, and right before the time when kings began to rule in Israel. In fact, when you begin to uh, look at, at the, the, uh, the first chapter here, Ruth chapter number one, verse number one, uh, I, I like this verse. Look what it says. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. You see that? When the judges ruled. And, uh, and, and that's a time marked, now pay attention to this, that's a time marked by another statement. You can't just read that and, and walk away from it and think you got it. Uh, now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. If you just get past that, you missed why that was put there. 
I mean, it could have just said, now it came to pass that there was a famine in the land. Right? Are you with me now? We're going to do some Bible studies. It's going to take us a while to get through this. I really want you to, as you would say, as a teacher, a couple of teachers that put your thinking caps on. Right? You got your thinking cap on? Uh, why, 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 why would the Lord put that statement there? Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Well, in order to understand that, you really need to um, have that statement defined by another statement that marks it. And here, here it is in Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Why? Well, because kings didn't come before Samuel, right? Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Are you with me? Somebody say, I'm with you. All right, let's go back. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Why would God put that there? Because he wants us to understand the culture. And the culture is this. During that period of time when the judges ruled, people did that which was right in their own eyes. Now, in just a moment, we're going to look at the implication of that. Okay, because there's several things that, that I want us to, 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 to think about when we think about when the judges rule. The first thing I, I think maybe we, we do this, and we have the tendency to, uh, you know, go in the same direction often. But, you know, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The first thing we think of is everybody was just doing wrong. But think of it this way. People were doing what they thought was best. Let that sink in for a second. You know, there was, in Genesis chapter number 7, when God looks down, in Genesis chapter number 6, he looks down, and God says, man, I'm looking at what I've created, and I can't believe how they've corrupted themselves. And the Bible says their minds, the people during Noah's day, their mind was filled with, with evil. I mean, they just were looking for, for more ways to sin. But that's not what this says. Are you with me? No, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. We might, we might say it this way, where they just did what they thought was best to do. You can't fault a person for that. Say amen right there. You can't fault a person for that, right? And so, uh, once again, go back to verse number one. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Why would the Lord put that there? Well, because it marks a culture. Are you with me? Do you see how I'm beating this horse to death? Because that, that statement kind of, it, it just kind of uh, paints the portrait for the whole book of Ruth. We have to understand the culture in which she lived. Amen. Right? Um, I am over 60. Right? I'm 63 years old. When I was growing up as a teenager, um, uh, I just lost your name. Kendra. Kendra. Um, you're, you're just a young lady, man. I mean, you're like 20. Wow. I won't say it out loud. I didn't believe you're that old. Man, she's old. She's 26. Wow. But I guarantee you, when I was 26, and now that you're 26, I was 26 in 1986. <laughs> it's like archaic, right? My, the culture I grew up in, completely different than the culture you're growing up in, right? And so now listen, listen, if I'm not careful, if I want to minister to Kendra, if I want to be a help to Kendra, if I want to be a blessing to Kendra, 
if I want to care for Kendra, I need to understand the culture she's living in because it's not the culture I'm living in. Boy, this would be a great place to just go off and preach about church culture and how we get so hooked and so married to things that don't matter. And we forget about younger people like Akindra who's sitting in the room with Dave. Dave, I think you're like 80-something. 89? He just looked at you like, who are you talking about, sister? Makes a big difference, right? So how, I said this a few months ago, how can we, how can we minister to a 26-year-older and an 81-year-older Simple. Just stay, stay true to the truth. Amen. Right. right? And understand the culture they're living in. Right. It makes a difference. Right? And so I got, hooked, I got hooked up on this when I started to study the book of Ruth. And I've studied this book many, many times. Preached it many times. These are all brand new notes, by the way. I'm not preaching old stuff. I got hooked up on this. Why would God put that in there? Because it's important for us to understand the culture that Ruth grew up in what she's going through. Every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes, or in other words, they were doing what they thought was best, right? Now, let me show you how that comes comes into play, because what you begin to read as you read through this text of Scripture is in verse number one and two. Let's read it just a little bit more. Now, it came to pass, uh, go back, it came to pass in days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Keep that in mind. There's a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. If you read another couple of verses down, they continued there for 10 years. Are you with me? Now, let's just pause for a second. And, and, and once again, remember, we're living, the, these folks are living in a, in a culture ruled by the judges, and at that period of time, the predominant philosophy of life was, we're just going to do what we believe is best. Okay? Right? Are you with me? And so here's Elimelech, and the Bible tells us in this text of Scripture what he does is, is he does what? He moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab. Why? Look at the text. Let's not, let's just, Bible tells us because there's a, a famine in the land. Right? And so any of us, any of us would say, just on the surface, looking at the brother, here's a brother, here's a fellow who cares for his family. Right? I mean, there's a famine in the land. He's got a wife. He's got two sons. He's concerned. How, how, how am I going to feed them? Right? And so what does he do? I guess he hears there's some food in Moab. Maybe there's some work in Moab. He can pick up a part-time job in Moab. And what does he do? He does, now pay attention, he does what he believes is best for his family. Good decision, careful, on the surface. On the surface. Because not all decisions are good decisions until they pass the decision test. Say amen, right? Amen? Amen? Uh, You know this. You know in the Bible, names are important. When someone is is birthed and given a name, they're given a name on purpose, right? And and those names mean something. A lot of times we say this, for example, my name, I'm named after my father's father. That's where I got my name, right? Um, 
my son is named after my grandfather, whose name is Joseph, but really after Joseph in the Bible, because Joseph in the Bible is one of my favorite Bible characters. You know? Um, but when you look at Elimelech, <laughs> you know what, anybody know what his name means? Say it again. My God is king. So when, when Elimelech's mom and dad, right, gave birth to that little fella, they looked at each other and he said, what do we name him? And, 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 and father, the father looked at him and I know he said this, he said, let's, let's name him Rocky. He looks like a Rocky. You know, she said, no, let's name him Alexander. And they came up with Elimelech. Why? Because they wanted a name that would glorify God. They wanted a name whereby, you know, he could live out his name and be a testimony to the Lord. My God is king. How would you like to live with a name that means my God is king? Now, I know today we just name kids whatever, moon, sand, <laughs> green, purple, uh, you know. Uh, I think George Costanza loved the name Seven, or what was it? I don't forget what it was if you watch Seinfeld. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You're looking at me now, I just messed up the whole message, right? Uh, so, but uh, Elimelech. Now, take this into consideration. Here's a fella whose name is My God is King. When faced, now pay attention right here, this is pivotal. When faced with a trial of his life, what does he do? He leans to his own understanding. Are you with me? Huh? My God is king, but when he's faced with a trial, uh, all of a sudden there's a famine in the land. What does he do? He does what he thinks is best. Are you with me? How come you're not as excited as I am? He does what he thinks is best. And what does he do? He moves his family to Moab. To Moab. Now, if you've never done any, any you don't even need to be extensive, but any Old Testament study at all, here's what you know. In the very beginning, when God was bringing together his people, the nation of Israel, he gave them, he gave them some instructions, some do's and some don'ts, Right? And, and, and some of the things he told them was there were certain peoples and certain lands they needed to stay away from. And, 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 guess, and guess who was on the list? The Moabites. God specifically mentions the Moabites as being individuals that I will have you to have nothing. Don't let your children marry them. Don't, don't marry their daughters. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't build up shop in their neighborhood. Don't do it. No partnerships. I mean, you just need to separate from them. Are you with me? Huh? What does my God is king do? He leans to his, under, his own understanding, and he moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab. Are you with me? All right. So, Elimelech means my God is king. Do you know what Bethlehem is? You know the meaning of the name Bethlehem? Who said that? The house of bread. <laughs> Wait a second. There's a famine in the house of bread. That's what it means, house of bread. Right? House of bread. Uh, Moab... In fact, in the Psalms, I love this Psalm. In the Psalms, it talks about how God, say, God says this about Moab. Moab is my wash pot. Or in other words, you know what a wash pot is? It's a basin where you wash your feet. 
I think about the laver in the Old Testament priesthood where they would go in before they can go in and serve the Lord in the Holy of Holies. They'd stop at the laver and wash their hands and wash their feet in the basin, right? God says, you know, uh, Moab is my wash pot. So here's my God as king, Elimelech. Are you with me? Faced with a trial, with a difficulty, leans to his own understanding and moves his family from the house of bread to God's wash pot. Doesn't make much sense, does it? And I have to believe in my heart that he knew the word of God. I have to believe in my heart that his parents, because they named him, you know, a godly name, also instilled in him some understanding of some kind of separation in life. Look here, you don't have to be a super-duper separatist to know there are some things, there's just some things that we've got to stay away from. There's just some things that are not okay. So what are those things? Whatever God says. Huh? If God says no, it's no. If pastor says no, figure it out for yourself. It may be no for me, it may not be no for you, but when God says no, it's no. It's no. I need you to turn someplace with me, just a couple pages backward, to Deuteronomy chapter number 7. And I want, I want to show you what I believe Elimelech knew in this text of Scripture. Look at this. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 1, Deuteronomy 7, 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee, and he gives them a list of the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I know what you're saying. Where's the Moabites? They're all Moabites. They're all Moabites. Huh? And I'll, sh- I'll show you that in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look what he says. He says, uh, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. God's trying to protect them. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thine. Go to chapter 23 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look at verse 3. And the Ammonite or what? Moabite. See that? Same, 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 same person. Same people. Same people. The Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter in, because they met you not with bread. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Baal. What he's saying is this, they are our enemies, and we're to have nothing to do with them. Are you with me? Now pay attention. Let's go, let's go back for a second. Here's Elimelech. A godly man, has a wife, Naomi, two children, Malon, two sons, Malon, Killian, right? Faced with a trial, faced with a difficulty, what does he do? What does he do? He leans to his own understanding. He does what he thinks. That's key. What he thinks is best. And he moves his family to Moab. Can I just pause for a moment and ask you this question? May I ask us this question? What do you do when times get tough in your life? Think about that now. Don't, 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 don't even answer it. Just think about it. In fact, before you even answer it, you need to maybe retrace what you've done, the decisions you've made, 
Listen, I've pastored long enough, I've pastored husbands and wives that when the fire started to dwindle, they started to look elsewhere. Instead of, go to a, instead of going to a marriage seminar, get some marriage counseling, or redo your vows, or I don't know. No, he started to look at his secretary, and she started to look at her boss. And they started to entertain what they thought might be best. Huh? I mean, what do we do when... Do you know how many times in pastoring 30-some years, how many times, Raji, I've... I've, I've counseled with couples who've asked me for financial help because the bottom just dry, fell apart. I'll never forget this one family. I promise you, this is facts, man. When I put their monies together, when I found out what she was making, what he was making, and put it on paper, they both looked at each other and said, we don't make that kind of money. You do. You make a whole lot more than I do. And yet they couldn't even pay their bills. And you know what I did, Raj? I took a line from what they were making and I drew it all across the page, and I said, okay, let's talk about your tithe record and your giving record. And it was zero, 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 zero. Look here. It's, it's kind of like what it says in Haggai, right? You can make all the money you want, but if you're not taking care of God and God's house, it's like putting that money in a bag filled with holes. You don't even get it back home. Me people have... Quit giving because times got tough. I can't afford to give. No, no, no. You can't afford not to give. You need God to bless that, that income you have. You say, Pastor, it's not even enough to make ends meet. I know. That's why you need God's blessing on it. Right? My wife sent me to the market just last week. I couldn't believe the price of things. Good grief. I started stopping at the Salvation Army now. You know, thrift shops, holy moly, a dozen of eggs, you know, bread, milk, cream, Philadelphia brand cream cheese, a little container of it. It was like $7. Whew, man. So we don't need cream cheese no more in our house. We're, <laughs> we're upstate, I'm teasing. But what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? In, uh, what do we do out, out in the social arena? You know, when you're working and all of a sudden, you know, the boss comes and he wants you to do this and do that, but it's against what you believe. Huh? What do we do? Well, here's what Elimelech did. He leaned to his own understanding and took his family from Bethlehem to Moab. We might say it this way, out of the pot into the fire. But certainly, certainly out of the will of God. He certainly took them out of the will of God. So the question then begs to answer, how'd this, how'd this turn out for him, right? I mean, I'm up here preaching like a maniac. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm not preaching. I'm teaching just with passion. How'd this turn out for him? You might say, well, Pastor, well, you know, look, look, look at the guy. I mean, he's blessed. He built a, 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 an unbelievable business in Moab. He was able to go back and bless Bethlehem. It just turned out great. Really? Look at, look at this text. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, what? Where'd he die? He died in Moab. I'm going to come back to this next statement in just a moment. And she was what? And she was what? She was what? She was left. Huh? Here's an individual. Here's Elimelech. My God, is, my God is king. 
Faced with the trial, the difficulty, what does he do? He leans to his own. He did what he thought was best. I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not faulting him for that. But just because you, 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 look here, good, better, best, never let it rest. Your good is better and your better is best. Right? There's something better than best. You know what it is? God. God's best. I used to say this, Jason. Remember when we were pastoring as teacher staff? There's, there's first class and God class. Let's be God class. Right? What does he do? He leads his family to Moab thinking he's doing the right thing. I don't know if he prayed about it or fasted about it. I don't know if he consulted with his rabbi. I don't know. But I do know this. He ends up dying where? In Moab. And he leaves his wife and now two sons, right? Four of them go down. Well, as, as, as you read on, here's, here's what takes place. Look, 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 look at the next. In Malon, well, I went too far. Look, let, me, let me go back to Ruth. Go back to Ruth with me. It says in verse 4, And they took them wives. Who's that? Well, the two sons, right? So they're growing up now. They're in Moab. They look out. Man, oh, my girls are cute. He, they start dating a couple of girls. Orpah and Ruth, right? Marry these girls. They're there for 10 years. And what happens? Well, here's what happens. Look at verse number, number five. And Malon and Kilian died also, both of them. Now look at the next statement. Look, look at the screen. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. You see how in both cases, Elimelech died and Naomi was left, right? Malon and Kilian die, and the women are left. There's always something left. Think about that. After every decision that you and I make, there's always something left. Always something left, right? In this case, what's left? I just, I just jotted down a few things. A woman who had to bury her husband and two sons, is left. She's left. Uh, a woman in a foreign land having to defend for herself, and if you know customs, that wasn't an easy thing. A woman without a husband was not an easy, no son? Sons are dead now? So here's a woman who has to bury her husband and two sons in a foreign land, left to defend for herself, and now she's got, listen to this, she's got two Moabite daughters-in-law. In our economy, to be nasty or to be coy or to be whatever, someone would say, so we live like, how, how, how'd, that, how'd that turn out for you? We wouldn't say that because he, he's just, we have to believe he was trying to do the best he could do. Right? Just like us sometimes. Just like when we take God's money and invest it or, Hello? Or do something other, and we just think we're doing something that don't work. Take that job on Sunday. What? Well, why? I'll tell you why. You know what I used to preach this, Jason? You've been in my church for a long, long time. He was a teenager in my church when I used to preach these things. I used to say to some of our parents, some of the fathers, I used to say, you know what you ought to ask your children to do because you're working Sundays and you're working Wednesday nights and you never come to church anymore because you're going to make that overtime? Here's what you ought to ask your children. What do you really want? 
Because what you think they want is the newest this and the newest that and the newest this and the newest that. But what they really want is you. And maybe what you ought to give them is, is, is spiritual heritage. Sure, we want to give our children things. Are you with me? Hmm? What's left? You know what the Bible, I like this Bible verse. I usually read it at funerals, Revelation 14, 13, where it says, and your works do follow you. Right? Your works do follow you. Blessed, he said, right, blessed are those who have died in the Lord and their works do follow them. Our works do follow us. And that's what you see here in this text. But everything changes. And I'm almost, I, I have to finish. I'm not finished, but I have to finish. Everything changes in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Now, it says, then, then, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might, look at that word, return. That's a good word. That's a great word that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Where? Back in Bethlehem at the house of bread. Are you with me? <coughs> Can I tell you something interesting here? If we had a map up, Bob, I know you like to do them kinds of things. If you put a map up and you looked at Bethlehem and Moab, it would only take you probably less than a day to get there on foot. Then maybe two days. Just two-day journey. It's not like they had the just two-day journey. Right? So even after Elimelech died, Naomi could have said to her sons, hey, enough is enough. We need to get back home. Did you ever hear this statement? Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Cost you more than you want to pay. Take you further than you want to go. Huh? I mean, and yet, Roger, if you read how she's there for 10 more years after Elimelech, I mean, 10 years. Just a, couple, I mean, just a couple of days, maybe three days, I don't know, four days. Not a big deal. But now, thank the Lord, now she's going to go back. Huh? She's going to return. And so here's what she does. She calls her two daughter-in-laws in, Orpah and Ruth, and she says to them, let me fill in the blanks. Girls, I love you, and I know it's difficult, but you're young. You're young, right? You're widowed. You're young. Go make a life for yourself. You know, there's plenty of other guys out there that'll fall in love with you. Orpah, Orpah, verse 14, Orpah says, uh, I don't have verse 14 there, but here's what she says. Let me interpret it for you. She says, okie dokie. In verse 14, you say it. She says, Okay. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't chide her for that, right? I mean, right? She, she loved her mother-in-law. She just, this, yeah, I, I agree with y'all. You know, this is, I'm a Moabite. This is, I'm, you know, I'm leaving town. I'm going back to, to Bethlehem. You stick it out, and, right? But Ruth, Ruth grabs a hold of her, and she says, I'm not letting you go. And Naomi says, but, but sweetie, listen, you know, you're, you're a young girl. You're good, fine. And that's when we read in verse 16 the commitment statement of Ruth. Look, look at verse 16 with me. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, or, don't do that yet, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be 
my people, and thy God, my God. Wow. That's powerful. Let's read another one. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if, if aught but death part thee and me. Man, this... How many, how many of us have sons would love to have a daughter-in-law like that? Hmm? When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she stopped speaking to others. She said, all right, let's go. Huh? That's a commitment statement there. And I, I want to end the story right here. We're done. But let me give you something to take with you. First, the choice. The choice of Ruth. Now, you may not see it there, so let me point it out for you. What she chooses in that text of Scripture, and I'll highlight this again next week, what she chooses in that text of Scripture is first a path. She says this, where you go, I'll go. Right? Uh, we'll come back to this next week. Uh, she chooses a people. Your people will be my people. She chooses a partner. Where you die, I'll die. She chooses a plan. Your God will be my God. I promise you I'll come back to this next week. There's a lot I want to say about it. How about that? In that one statement there, in that one Bible verse, what a choice she makes. Choices or decisions are important. Listen, listen to this statement. I'll come back to this next week as well. The choices or the decisions that we make ultimately make us. Don't miss that. You and I, we're a sum total of the decisions we made up to this point in time in our lives. And so decisions are important because ultimately the ones you make will make you. Then also notice this, verse 18. When she saw, this is Ruth, this is uh, Naomi. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, Naomi said, I, I'm just, I need to stop speaking. She's consistent. She's just consistent. Ruth was consistent to her word. You know, right, think about this, and I'll come back to it next week. Right choices need to be renewed. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever make a great decision, a Christian, a Christian life, great decision for God? But you had to go back and renew it because life comes at you from one direction or the next, and you kind of get a little bit away from that decision you made. Huh? Yeah, 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 here's a simple one. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible every single day this year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then, yeah, six, eight weeks into the, you know, all of a sudden you're down to three days a week, and you come back and say, wait a second, wait a second, I need to come back. I need to renew that decision, right? And I said that to say this, you know, you and I, if we make choices, don't forget those choices need to be renewed often. Be reminded of the commitments that we've made unto the Lord. I was going to give you this Bible verse, but I won't. I keep it for next week. It's too good. I don't want to overload you. But I want you to think about this. You and I live between two worlds every day. We do. Uh, two cultures two philosophies, two roads. I want to share something that someone shared with me many, many, many years ago when I was just coming up. And here's what they said. Eventually, you're going to have to have your mind made up when you come to the fork in the road. You need to know which direction you're going to go when you come to the fork in the road. Don't wait until you come to the fork in the road. There'll be one. Your mind needs to be made up in advance, right? So how do you do that? Here's what the psalmist said. Psalm 119, 105. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. And then in verse 35, Psalm 119, look at this. He said, make me to go 
in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. That's a conviction to my heart. That's the wrong verse. I'm sorry. should be Psalm 119.35. Look at that verse. Isn't that convicting? The psalmist says, Make me to go in the path of the... For therein do I delight. Take it back to Ruth 1, verse 1. Elimelech, my God is king, moves his family too. Why? Because he's living under the philosophy of the judges, which was... You just need to do what you think is best. That can get you in a lot of trouble sometimes. Tell you what you ought to do. What God said is best. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Make me to go in that path. For therein do I delight. May that be our prayer. Amen? Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.